Welcome to the Strategic Investor. Join us as we interview some of the world's most productive asset managers and uncover sophisticated and unique investment strategies in the markets. Here is your host, Charlie Wright. Hello and welcome to Strategic Investor Radio on octalkradio.net, where we bring you investment strategies you're not hearing elsewhere. Very grateful today to have Michael Roomberg with us, portfolio manager of Millard Howard, Miller Howard Investments, and uh, they are located, and he speaks to us from the very infamous town in the state of New York of Woodstock. Michael, welcome to Strategic Investor Radio. Uh, thank you, Charlie, and uh, good morning to you, and uh, I bet it's quite a bit warmer there than it is here. Uh, no question about it, and we're even getting a little precipitation, which we definitely need. So, uh, Michael, for our listeners here, Miller Howard was founded over 30 years ago by Lowell Miller, a well-known name in the investment world, and you guys originally conducted a landmark study of utilities as an asset class, which kind of put you guys on the map, and today you guys are a family of mutual funds consisting of nine different funds, and your expertise is energy and water investing. So let's begin immediately with, uh, give us a brief history of Millard Howard, Miller Howard itself. Well, so you covered it. Um, uh, Miller Howard was started as a research boutique. Uh, Lowell wrote a, a book uh, in the late 70s called The Momentum Gap Method. Uh, book was a, uh, a way to identify interesting investments from technical chart patterns. Uh, Lowell uh, got his start as a, a technician and um, met a guy named, wrote the book, published it, and uh, it was picked up and read by uh, a, an actual uh, rocket scientist who said, I can write the code to source these types of patterns for you and identify them across the, the, the market, uh, which was pretty novel concept at the time. Uh, it enabled Lowell to get into the, uh, the business of identifying stocks and providing technical analysis to uh, institutional investment managers. Uh, and as you correctly pointed out, the firm evolved from a research boutique that conducted ultimately a landmark study at the time of utility stock returns, which uh, really showed how utilities can provide for a higher level of income, uh, growth of income, inflation protection, total returns that are, are pretty comparable with the market overall, uh, albeit with uh, quite a bit less volatility. And so that led to an investor approaching Lowell with uh, with the idea that he put that strategy to work uh, and thus began our, our investment management business. Um, our, our firm has evolved over the years, and, and our focus on dividends remains. Uh, the, the qualities of companies that uh, we look for have high current income, recurring income, uh, growth of income, and financial strength. And, and really, those are the, the hallmark blue chip type qualities that we look for. Um, to make a long story short, uh, you know, utility companies uh, are often critically reliant upon or uh, dependent upon or owned by legacy of their history midstream pipeline assets. And so we started to see what was happening with midstream pipelines uh, beginning on the natural gas side in 2005, uh, on the crude oil side in 2010. Uh, and we had been owning these pipelines for many years uh, through our various uh, income-oriented portfolios, became interested in MLPs as an asset class and started our first uh, MLP portfolio really at the bottom in 2009. It really, as that started to evolve and the shale revolution started to evolve, we saw how that was impacting other areas of our economy as well, uh, areas like petrochemicals or environmental services, uh, companies that were uh, really breathing new life or having new life as a result of the shale revolution. Uh, and so we decided to start our strategy in 2011, again, relatively early uh, innings of the shale revolution, to really capture 
all the aspects of uh, of the energy revolution in one strategy. Okay, so so Michael, we're focusing today because our uh, show is all about alternative investing, and uh, we're we're going to focus on your strategy of which you are the portfolio manager. It's called Drill Bit to Burner Tip. So whoever came up with that name does not have to say it multiple times every day, I, I can tell you. I, I have practiced all morning to be able to say that here. So tell us, well. tell us about this strategy and how that particular name uh, fits here. Sure. So as I mentioned, Drill Bit to Burner Tip really uh, brings together uh, in one portfolio all of what we do in our other strategies. Uh, you know, collectively, the firm manages about $7 billion in assets. Uh, we have 11 investment professionals looking at companies in this area. The Drill Bit to Burner Tip uh, portfolio uh, is really that. It's the entire North American energy value chain from the drill bit in the field to the burner tip in your home. Uh, it's really premised on, on two beliefs. One is that uh, shale technology is first and foremost a technological revolution. It's a change in the way that we provide for energy in our economy. Uh, it is one that has unlocked vast quantities of commercial uh, resource that wasn't previously available to us. Uh, but just like the gold rush in the 1800s, uh, if one were to only look at the, the individual miners that went out there, uh, you'd be missing the broader picture of all these various industries that sprung up or benefited, as we call it, uh, from the emergence of this industry and this, this trend. So uh, companies like Levi Strauss that were uh, uh, distributing dry goods to miners, or Wells Fargo that was uh, transporting uh, gold back to money center banks. These are the type of companies that, in the end, are among the, the, the largest wealth uh, beneficiaries of what's taking place here. So uh, the portfolio is, is built to have that breadth. Uh, a traditional energy strategy is really just a proxy bet on the price of the commodity, whereas with this portfolio, we're focused on the consumers of the commodity, companies that benefit from the abundance of North American energy, which we think uh, will continue to, uh, to, to be enhanced over the next several decades. So um, it's also mainly focused on natural gas. Uh, we believe that natural gas is a bridge fuel between an economy today that's uh, mainly powered by uh, coal and, to a lesser extent, uh, or uh, and oil, uh, to a future that's powered by renewables. Uh, between here and there, uh, we'll have a major transitional shift in our economy. Uh, it will cost significant amounts of dollars, uh, but natural gas will continue to serve as the bridge fuel that will lower our environmental footprint. Uh, I can go into detail about the environmental qualities of natural gas, but to put it very simply, uh, many of your listeners, Charlie, will go home tonight, uh, they will boil a, a pot of water on a, on a gas-burning stove with the windows closed with no problem. Uh, they wouldn't do the same thing with a charcoal uh, grill in, their, in the middle of their dining room. Uh, and it, it's quite uh, that simple on an industrial scale in terms of the, uh, the pollution effects of natural gas. Okay, uh, so, so we're very so, bullish on the future growth of natural gas for that. Okay, reason. and we all hope that that you're accurate here because uh, that would be uh, a real boon not only the economy but for the environment, etc. But let's drill down a little bit here and talk about the specifics. Okay, we've looked at it from the ten thousand foot level. Specifically, are are you invested in uh, you know four or five different specific industries? Do you just look at particular companies? What are you invested in in this strategy? Sure. So we divide the portfolio universe into four buckets. Uh, the first is the upstream. These are the independent oil and gas producers that own the right to produce oil and gas. Uh, they do so at the lowest price possible, uh, and they are price takers. So these are companies that really directly benefit from rising commodity prices. Uh, the second area is the mid- and, 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 and these companies are, are what, what kind of companies? Uh 
Give us uh, an example. Oil producers or, or, or gas producers. Um, an example in our portfolio in that uh, bucket, if you will, Charlie, would be a company called Cabot Oil and Gas. Uh, they own the rights to develop thousands of acres uh, in the northeast Marcellus Shale. Uh, they drill uh, down several thousand feet, uh, and they are able to unlock vast quantities of gas at a very low cost. Um, so this is one of the, the leading companies in our portfolio. Uh, they're located about 95 miles uh, to New York City, which is the, the largest gas-consuming market uh, in the United States. And so they have the perpetuity right to produce that gas on that acreage for uh, what will amount to several decades of drilling inventory. Uh, but again, that, that company and its stock, uh, it will benefit from the improvement in technology as the company continues to improve and, uh, upon its processes, but mainly from the price of natural gas rising. Okay, so you're looking at companies who are well-positioned for these kinds of opportunities, and then I presume you are looking at their fundamental uh, indicators to make sure that they're profitable, sales are up, they have free cash flows that is strong, etc., etc. Absolutely. We are bottom-up stock pickers. We are constantly screening a universe of 375 stocks uh, that are a style fit for this theme that I've just discussed. Uh, and so we are constantly looking for companies that possess uh, not just the right qualities um, that make them good companies, but ones that are mispriced in the market. Uh, because it's not enough to have a good company. Uh, it also has to be one that's not uh, receiving all the full amount of love that it should from investors. Okay. Uh, what's the second category? Sure. So the second category is called the midstream. Uh, this is the area of what many people are familiar with, uh, MLPs. Uh, these are volume-sensitive businesses. They're uh, mainly oriented like toll roads. So the more cars, the more traffic, uh, the more that uh, fees they're able to generate on their pipelines. Uh, it's a, vo- a very volume-sensitive business. And so uh, rarely does the, does the actual underlying earnings of these companies be uh, impacted by the commodity. But you do see a correlation, if you will, with the price of oil and gas at times uh, when really investors begin to expect changes in the volume of flows, uh, which can be brought about by a significant rise in prices, which will you know, foster more drilling activity and more production and more shipments. Uh, and, and the same can be said when oil prices collapse, as they did a couple years ago. Okay, uh, but, so, but so... It's a very attractive business model. Okay, so here we have the MLPs. Okay, so we have the exploration upstream. Here we have midstream. What's the third? The third is downstream, so this is mainly areas of regulated natural gas utilities. Uh, utilities are uh, regulated in each individual state. In California, you have the CPUC that regulates how much natural gas utilities are allowed to earn. Uh, mainly, they don't earn any money on the gas. If gas prices are high, uh, many people think that utility is gouging them, but really, they don't earn any of their money on the, on the actual gas itself. Instead, they get benefit, they, they're incentivized to invest in the infrastructure itself, your, your, all the delivery systems that they maintain. And they're allowed to earn a profit on that. And the regulators kind of want to keep their profits in check, but more importantly, they want to keep the overall bills in check for retirees and low-income participants, etc. So when gas prices remain low, as we think they will because of this abundance of North American natural gas, these companies can make more and more higher-returning capital investments without impacting customers' uh, bills to the same degree. So these are companies, an example of a company that wouldn't really be correlated positively to the price of gas. In fact, benefits from gas prices are lower. Uh, And so that's, again, something that speaks to really the differentiation aspects of this portfolio. Okay, and what's the fourth? The fourth is... The fourth is an area that's very uh, differentiated. This is the enablers and beneficiaries. So, uh, for instance, uh, we might be invested in a regional financial bank, uh, a savings and loan bank, in an area that has a very 
uh, over, high overlap uh, from a branch standpoint with uh, a shale producing area. Uh, my home state of Pennsylvania, uh, where I where I was born and raised, uh, there are fifty thousand uh, royalty recipients that are getting checks from natural gas uh, drilling companies uh, every month, and they don't have the benefit of a large, uh, you know, money center type bank, and so they go to their regional savings and loan. They they that that bank in turn has a higher level of deposit growth. Uh, there's more seasonal activity, more migrant workers, more uh, economic activity, hotels. So C and I loan activity, commercial industrial loan activity from that bank benefits uh, to a greater degree from the activity that's taking place in that area. So these companies will generate not, uh, benefits not just from higher prices, but more, greater levels of activity. And again, you know, in, in that area of our portfolio, there's very low correlation, generally speaking, to the price of the commodity. Okay, so now you're in these four areas. You select stocks in those. You have about how many positions at any given time in the portfolio? The portfolio generally has between 35 and 40 stocks in it, Charlie. Uh, it gives us the ability to be diversified while at the same time leveraging you know, the, the fruits of our labor and, and really identifying mispriced stocks. Um, you know, we are absolutely not closet indexers. Uh, we like to really get deep in the weeds on individual companies and find where uh, the market we think may be missing the, uh, the, the opportunity. We, we call it a lack of imagination when, uh, you know, as, as investors that are looking to the future, maybe two or three, uh, you know, horizons uh, beyond what's visible today. Um, you know, we talk about our location here in upstate New York. Uh, it really gives us an ability to kind of sit here and, and evaluate the landscape as it may exist uh, beyond the hustle and bustle of what's just in front of us. So do you try to have an equal distribution among the four different categories? Sure. So our number one objective is total return. Uh, we want to beat the markets. Uh, we want to provide a better risk-adjusted return for investors. Uh, but we also want to provide this diversified exposure to this long-term theme. Uh, energy will always be cyclical. A lot of folks forgot when shale took off in 2010 that you know this was going to go up into the right forever. Uh, but then they forgot that you know energy again will always be cyclical. And so while we always try to be uh, you know. Uh, uh, Exposed to the to the broad area of the entire investment universe, we can tactically allocate and under allocate each of those individual buckets that I just described. And given how they all act differently, given their different areas of the value chain, um, with respect to commodity prices, interest rates, uh, expectations for economic growth, uh, and valuations, uh, we can tactically overweight and underweight each of those buckets, which has the effect of benefiting from rising commodity prices when commodity prices are rising, uh, and and. Really, we can sidestep some of the you know, the carnage, if you will, when inevitably markets turn. In fact, we have a, a large group of companies in our investment universe that can benefit from lower prices, as I mentioned. Okay, Michael, we need to take a short break here. We're well beyond the time. This is very interesting stuff about certainly a very important sector of the economy. Again, we're talking with Michael Roomberg, Portfolio Manager for Miller Howard Investments, for their strategy Drill Bit to Burner Tip Fund. You're listening to Strategic Investor Radio on octalkradio.net. I'm Charlie Wright, and we'll be right back. According to the consulting firm Strategic Capital Allocation Group, every decade since 1900 has experienced at least one bear market, and several have experienced as many as three. So how do we protect our principal from these declines without missing the gains when prices rise? At Strategic Investor Radio, we interview asset managers with unique strategies designed to both protect and grow your investments. 
Investing is not rocket science. It's rocket fuel if you know how to harness it. For podcasts of our interviews, please visit us at strategicinvestorradio.com. And now back to Charlie and his guest. Thank you, Paul. Again, we're talking with Michael Roomberg, Portfolio Manager for Miller & Howard Investments of their fund Drill Bit to Burner Tip. And so, uh, Michael, uh, you've told us about the four categories all focused on either energy or beneficiaries of the uh, energy, primarily uh uh, liquid natural natural gas uh, industry. Uh, tell us, uh, do you hedge on these positions at all, other than through diversification? No, we do not, Charlie. In, in fact, we generally have a policy of being fully invested, uh, long only. We don't uh, bet against the, the the price of a commodity or individual stocks, um, and we don't really manage cash. Uh, you know, we we like to provide a service. Our uh, fund, uh, which you've referenced, drill bit to burner tip fund, is uh, it, it provides daily liquidity for investors. So, to the extent that investors uh, want to manage their own cash, we let them do that, and they can uh, buy the fund and, and sell the fund and, and at their discretion. But as long as they're invested in the fund. We, we like to be invested in the theme on their behalf. Um, and so we, we don't uh, actually bet against any companies whose all uh, U.S. traded equities. Sure. Okay, and you deal in North America, so you deal in Canada as well. Correct. So we have a number of companies that are um, traded on the New York Stock Exchange but are headquartered or have a significant amount of operations in Canada. Uh, There's about 11 reasons, which I won't uh, go through in their entirety, that make the shale revolution distinctly a North American revolution. We think that the U.S. and Canada, to a lesser extent, will maintain their first mover advantage for decades to come. Uh, And it's a product of, again, many different factors that make shale development here uh, so attractive. And I'll give you one great data point that I'd love to point out. Uh, You know, the Chinese have always been historically done things that we've done in the past, you know, ultimately bigger, better, faster, cheaper. Well, with respect to shale, uh, China has a target of developing their own shale resources by 2020. The amount that they'd like to produce by 2020 is what we produce today in a week from shale. Uh, and so, you know, we, we the U.S. Is, and Canada are very far ahead in this, uh, and we think that that is really a structural advantage that we'd like to capture in this portfolio. And, of course, the friendly Canadians in the U.S., it's, uh, it's free of the conflicts that many times bedevil uh, investing in, in energy, which is obviously a globally uh, focused industry. You mentioned earlier, Michael, that uh, the price of uh, oil and natural gas and other energy products is cyclical. And uh, cyclical returns are not popular with investors. So I presume you guys focus on the longer term and not what has happened in the past six months, a year, even two years. Well, we, we have remained very active through the cycle, Charlie. Um, you know, we, we've noticed the inflection points, the various. We uh, we eat, live, and breathe the commodity markets, and so we're always trying to position the portfolio to really mitigate some of the volatility, um, you know, and not have that come at the expense of benefiting from rising markets when they are rising. Uh, so, you know, we we remain very active and tactical in that regard. Uh, we do have a longer term vision, and we like the sandbox, if you will, that we're playing in. We think it uh, will yield a lot of uh, high returning 
learning opportunities over time. But we are also focused on the short term because, as we've seen, you know, we've really, my colleagues will say that we've experienced, you know, several lifetimes of energy investing in the last two and a half years, and I think that's apt. Um, so the nimbleness and the diversity of this portfolio uh, is really seen by investors uh, that we work with as a way to sort of dip your toe into energy uh, without making a pure proxy bet on price. Okay. So tell us, what are the typical kind? I realize you're not on the sales end of things, so you're not talking every day to advisors and investors and, and the like. But uh, what are the typical kinds of, of objections that you, 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 your firm is running into on this fund? Sure. Um, well, it's uh, a great question. In fact, I, I try to talk, you know, as much as I can with, uh, with with folks that are in the market, whether it's our clients or investors. But the bottom line is, you're right. Uh, you know, most of our time is spent pretty monk-like, just pouring over financial statements and documents and filings um, and research reports. But uh, to answer your question, you know, I think the the biggest question is like. People wonder, is shale real? Uh, does it have this multi-decade future ahead of it? Uh, is it environmentally safe? Uh, you mentioned at the top of the, uh, the show that I, I do have a background in water and energy, and water topics are ones that uh, people focus on. Uh, and as an environmentalist myself, you know, I, I, I recognize that um, if companies cut corners, they do things improperly, and there's not good regulation, uh, then mistakes can happen. Uh, we are very much proponents of good regulation, and to the extent that uh, regulations are enforced and companies are doing the right thing, uh, this is a safe industry, and it's one that, especially on the natural gas side, is working to reduce our carbon footprint, our sulfur dioxide print, uh, footprint, uh, and our, our uh, imprint on, on uh, with respect to coal and all the things that come along with that. So um, I, I would say that would be one aspect, you know, and then the rest are probably what you see with every investment. Has the market run too far or, uh, you know, am I getting in too late or, uh, you know, things of that nature. Well, no, I don't think anybody's uh, wondering if they're getting in too late at this point. <laughs> they're wondering how long will it be before it was worth it, probably. But uh, these kinds of things we'll just have to see here. So, well, I would uh, concur t- with you, and we wouldn't be talking about it if we didn't think yeah. that way. Uh, so, Michael... Uh, Question we'd like to ask all of our guests. What keeps you awake at night? Uh, well, other than my three-year-old and my six-year-old who <laughs> occasionally wander into the bedroom, uh, not much. You know, I, I, this is a, a bipartisan fuel. Uh, it's politically supported on both sides. Uh, it's a technology that's proven and improving. Uh, really, the, the, it boils down to the macro side. Um, everyone has focused on the OPEC cut, for instance, on the oil side. But you know, a couple hundred basis points of extra economic growth would be equivalent in terms of the benefits of the, the tightening of the market from uh, from that standpoint. So, you know, to the extent that you know, there's more economic activity, there's more demand for energy. Uh, that's really what our, our north star is, and, and and to the extent that there's risks to that, as there were in 08 and 09, that's really the only thing that worries me. Um, because I know that this is something that is very well supported. The science backs it, um, and it's you know energy is a critically important component of modern life. There is nothing around us that's possible without uh, good, reliable sources of energy. No question about it. You know, it just hit me, uh, Michael. I remember back uh, in 2008 when the price of oil went from 150 to 30 or whatever it was in a very short period of time. All I heard on the media was how how wonderful this was because I was going to put all this uh, money back into the consumer's pocket and they were going to spend it and it was like a tax cut and it was wonderful. 
This time around, okay, I heard that originally when the price started dropping. Okay, but then when people recognize that there is so much of the economy that is dependent upon the energy industry and that the dropping price was actually hurting the economy, people really woke up and said, hey, wait a minute, we really do depend on energy, not just as a product, but as a method of fueling our economy. There's no question about it. I, you know, if I look at the the spending side, for every uh, dollar increase in the price of crude oil, that's another 3.65 billion dollars of energy uh, of, of capital investments that are being spent each year in the United States. Uh, and obviously, you know, the money multiplier effects of economic growth uh, that is very apt for this area. Uh, and so, the energy industry is a important part of our economy, and one because of shale that's becoming even bigger uh, in terms of our economy. So, yeah, you did have. Cons- that benefited certainly people had a couple extra dollars in their pocket and that's that that is part of the shale revolution is the benefit of low prices uh if we didn't have shale today uh your heating bills would be two to three times more what they are today your your uh you know filling up your your gasoline power car would be two to three times higher you'd still have all those crazy uh fuel surcharges on the airplanes so energy uh does cost people and when the prices come down that's good but it also comes at the expense of a huge amount of capital investment uh, which is only growing in importance in our economy as we are on track now and we actually are in position uh, as of this year to be exporters of natural gas uh, that is an export of the United States you know everybody says we don't make anything here uh, anymore well petrochemicals plastics we are now the, the one of the lowest places cost places in the world to manufacture plastics because of the the cost of the energy is so cheap here um, and, and cheaper than, than China and uh, Japan Southeast Asia Europe uh, we we are a leader in that, and so this is an increasingly important part of our economy, not just from a uh, you know a drag on consumer spending when prices rise, but uh, the benefits that, that flow from that in terms of increased activity. Uh, Michael, uh, remind us: was there a recent uh, restriction from the federal government on the exporting of uh, natural gas? Uh, not on natural gas. On oil, there had been a long-standing restriction. And really what that did, without getting too technical, is just inhibited uh, uh, increased activity, production activity, that would benefit consumers. Uh, the type of oil that comes out of shale is a certain quality. Uh, that It's pretty high quality, believe it or not. And uh, the U.S. refineries pre-shale were built to import what is uh, generally pretty low-quality oil. And so we had this overabundance of high-quality oil that no matter how much our refineries wanted to to use that as their their feedstock to make things like gasoline and jet fuel, they weren't able to. And so if we could exchange our our high-quality oil for low-quality oil, uh, we could not only uh, increase drilling activity in the United States, uh, but but kind of offset that mismatch and make uh, an abundance or more more available um, the imports and, and offset the, the drag on GDP that is uh, inherent in, in not uh, having a, a or having a larger trade uh, deficit. So you know it's a win-win, and it was just a matter of getting the policy correct and, and um, accepted by politicians. But ultimately, that happened. Natural gas exports, on the other hand, um, there's been you know local permitting issues, and they have to be permitted at the federal level as well. Uh, but there are five facilities that are currently under construction that uh, will go into service over in the next five years, and they're going to increase our demand as a country uh, by 12%, just five facilities. Um, 
because of the massive size of, of these types of projects. Michael, you make some compelling points here. Unfortunately, we, we've got to move on, but this is very interesting stuff. Second question we'd like to ask all of our guests, what book on investing would you recommend for our listeners? <laughs> That's a great question. Uh, what book would I recommend? Uh, well, I, I, here i, I got to represent the home team and point your listeners to The Single Best Investment, uh, which is among the most definitive books on dividend investing uh, that readers can have access to today. Uh, the book was written by our, our firm's founder, uh, Lowell Miller, who is, again, my CIO today in 1999. And, it, Charlie, I'm not sure the, the age demographic of your average uh, listener. Well, we're all uh, young and vibrant. No question about it, Michael. Well, in that case, many will will probably not recall in 1999 when the book was published. uh, That was a pretty unfashionable time to be talking about dividend stocks. Oh, yeah, it was. was That was the height of the tech boom right there. That's it. And, and, you know, it it wasn't, you know, the the hot dot was the companies that uh, hardly had any earnings, uh, let alone sales or customers, and certainly didn't pay dividends. So uh, we kind of like it's emblematic of what we do. We're independent thinkers. Uh, after that bubble burst, obviously, it didn't take long for folks to remember the, the sort of eternal appeal of a solid, modestly growing, high-quality dividend-paying portfolio. Okay, so the author's Lowell Miller, and the title again? Uh, the Single Best Investment. The Single Best Investment. Great. So give us your, your website, and, and we didn't talk about it. Your fund is a mutual fund, correct? Correct. The, the fund, uh, the portfolio is available through a mutual fund. Our the the ticker symbol is DBBDX, uh, and the uh, website for our fund is MHI. That's Miller Howard Investments. So MHIfunds.com, uh, and folks can obtain more information from our main office, which is uh, telephone numbers eight four five six seven nine. Nine one six six, and again, the fund is called Drillbit to Burner Tip. It's a bit of a of a Rorschach test, if you will. Some folks love it, and some <laughs> folks don't like it. But it really does describe what we do for clients, which is put them uh, in in gain them exposure to what we think is one of the most uh, 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 appealing secular growth stories in our otherwise you know fairly slow growing economy. Well, we've got to congratulate you, Michael. You guys are looking at something that is very important to our nation's economy. It is a great opportunity for the future. We've taken a dip here, but like you say, they, everything is cyclical, not just energy, but everything. We've had a dip here, and uh, this uh, this is a, a great thing, as I can see, that you guys are doing, is uh, raising money to encourage and to participate in the energy opportunities, natural gas gas, oil, etc. So, Michael, uh, final words for our listeners here. Yeah, no, absolutely. North American energy independence is what we are focused upon. You know, as you mentioned, most of the things around the market today have risen uh, and are trading near all-time highs. Energy as a category is still well below where it was in the past uh, several years ago, and we think that the future is very bright for the portfolio. Michael, thank you very much. We really appreciate you coming on today, and again, this has been very, very interesting in more than one way. Thanks, Charlie. I appreciate it. Enjoyed the conversation. Again, we've been talking with Michael Roomberg, Portfolio Manager at Miller Howard Investments, Manager of the Drill Bit to Burner Tip Fund. You've been listening to Strategic Investor Radio on octalkradio.net. We'd love you to contact us at info at strategicinvestorradio.com, and you can go to our website to hear podcasts of all of our interviews and shows, strategicinvestorradio.com. I'm Charlie Wright, wishing you an enjoyable week and productive investing. 
You've been listening to The Strategic Investor, your source for compelling investment strategies from some of the most productive asset managers in the industry. For unique investment strategies, visit us at strategicinvestorradio.com. Investing is not rocket science.